Okay, so we're going to start out today with B the B number 116, Our Sacred Order. Um, and the title of today's class, as will become apparent, is Who's Your Bishop? And there's a reason for that. But let's watch Steve first. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and the church is ordered for a reason that may surprise you. The church is structured as a hierarchy, and that can make people uncomfortable, especially in a world where we value equality and the dignity of all people. A hierarchy is normally defined as a system or organization in which people or groups are ranked one above the other according to status or authority. So if the church is a hierarchy, does that mean that some people have a higher status than others? Does it mean that some people are more important or better than others? No, because that's not how the church defines hierarchy. The word hierarchy comes from the Greek word hierarchia, and it literally means holy or sacred order. In fact, St. Dionysios the Areopagite calls hierarchy a sacred order in the likeness of God. St. Dionysius, one of the most incredible theologians in the history of the church, and one of my personal favorites, wrote two important works on this topic. One on the heavenly hierarchy of the angelic powers, and another on the hierarchy of the church. And his explanation is that this sacred ordering, this hierarchy in the church, reflects the way we help each other connect with God. You see, God made the universe and everything in it. And our goal is to connect with God, the source of life, to open our lives to his light and accept his invitation into his kingdom. Yet the light of God is only visible to us as we're prepared to see it. Kind of like physical light is only visible to us depending on the strength of our eyes. This is the reason there's even a hierarchy in the angelic powers from the cherubim and seraphim down to the archangels and angels. It's not that the cherubim or seraphim are any better than the other angelic orders. They just have a different capacity, a different ability to see God's light, an ability that fits with their role in the salvation of all. So that ability comes with a responsibility. It's their task to share the light of God with the other angelic powers down the hierarchy. Just like it's the task of the archangels and angels to share the light of God with us when they receive it. We see a beautiful symmetry in the hierarchy of the angelic powers. Each of the orders is there to receive God's light and then share it with others. To be illumined while illumining others. To be purified and perfected while purifying and perfecting others. It's actually a great example of what it means to be the bee to receive God's nectar and then share his honey. And a similar thing happens in the hierarchy of the church. Our bishops receive God's light and pass it on. They lead us in worship during the divine liturgy. They preach and explain the gospel to us. They ordain new clergymen. They lead all the churches in the metropolis or archdiocese. Our presbyters lead us in worship and preach and teach when the bishop is absent. They follow the lead of the bishop and, in turn, lead the people of their parish. And our deacons lead us in prayer, serve the faithful, and assist the presbyters and bishops following their lead. We'll actually go into a bit more detail on the role of the clergy and the vestments they wear in a few episodes. 
So look out for that. Hierarchy isn't about status or who's better. Our goal is humility, after all. Instead, hierarchy is about our mutual interconnectedness, the way we serve and are served by others, the way we lead and are led by others. And this ordering, this mutual dependence, makes sense because of our differences. As we've said many times, the church is the body of Christ. And a body, of course, is made of many different parts. Eyes and ears, hands and feet, arms and legs. St. Paul discusses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You should read it. Our eyes aren't any more important than our ears. Our hands aren't any more important than our feet. They each do their own particular job for the benefit of the entire body. And you can think of hierarchy as the way different parts of our body receive nourishment. Our mouths receive food whole. When we swallow, we pass food onto our stomachs, which have to receive the food chewed up. And before this nourishment ends up in the rest of our bodies, it needs to be digested. Our bodies are organized into this order of mutual care and dependence. And in a similar way, the church, the body of Christ, is organized into a sacred order that reflects both God's humility and loving care. Because even though we're all equal, we're not all the same. And our differences are opportunities for love and care as we use our strength to help others where they are weak and are humble enough to allow the strength of others to help our weaknesses. We're all called to learn and to teach to receive and to give, to care and to be cared for, to be thankful for the blessings we receive, and then freely give them to others, because that, our love and connectedness, is what hierarchy is truly all about. So let's be the bee and find our place in the sacred order of the church. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe share. I'll see you all next week. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon who helped make this episode possible. To support the creation of more Orthodox Christian content, so, please visit patreon.com. Next week, next week is our last class, and we will actually, that what we're going to talk about is finding our role in the church <clears throat> for each and every one of us. But today I want to talk about our hierarchs, and how the church is organized. Um, I'm going to read you something from St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, and this is from his letter, you know, St. Ignatius was Bishop of Antioch, uh, which is our church, and um, he was arrested and taken to Rome for interrogation and execution. And on his way he wrote letters to churches along the way. And so this is what part of his, his letter to the church in Smyrna, uh, which is now called Izmir in Turkey. Uh, Do ye all follow the bishop, as Jesus Christ doth the Father, and follow the presbyters as the apostles, and have respect unto the deacons as unto the commandment of God? Let no one apart from the bishop do any of the things that appertain unto the church, let that Eucharist alone be considered valid, which is celebrated in the presence of the bishop or of him to whom he shall have entrusted it. Wherever the bishop appear, there let the multitude be, even as where Christ, wherever Christ Jesus is, there is the Catholic Church. 
And that passage right there is the first mention anywhere of the Catholic Church, the universal church. Okay? St. Ignatius is not writing this like a thousand years ago. He is he's the second bishop, no, the third bishop of Antioch. Okay? So he is writing this while some of the apostles are still alive. So if the apostles had not thought there should be bishops, priests, and deacons, obviously they would have said something. So this is the order of the church. Bishops, priests, and deacons. Come on in. Um, so... Well, yeah, this is the topic. It's called Who's Your Bishop? We already saw Steve. You missed Steve. Sorry. Oh, no. You missed Steve. No, I was told that's the question you're supposed to ask. So, and that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about is why. So, so we have three sacred orders of ministry, three major orders, we call them. Um, we have deacons. We have presbyters. Presbyters, and we have bishops. Okay, that's the order of the ordained ministry. Now, those are major orders. Below that, we've always had minor orders like subdeacons. The subdiaconate was repressed in the Roman Catholic Church at Vatican II, it has not been repressed in the Orthodox Church. Now, it is more in use in some jurisdictions than others. For example, in the Greek archdiocese, they only make someone a subdeacon five minutes before they make them a deacon. Okay? <laughs> in our archdiocese, we make subdeacons all the time. Okay? In fact, I was made subdeacon five minutes after I was chrismated. I was tonsured reader, made subdeacon. Okay? So I've been a subdeacon now for 26 years. So, um, and then we have readers. Those are the ones we really use right now. But there were other orders such as exorcist. Exorcist was a minor order. Okay. Um, Subdeacon has always been the highest minor order, and it includes all those below it. But um, doorkeepers, um, uh, virgins, and widows. Those were those were considered minor orders. If you were a virgin or a consecrated virgin or a widow, you had a special ministry in the church and were set aside for that. Okay. Um, there was an order of deaconesses. Now, the order of deaconess had a primary function of um, not serving liturgically like a deacon, but the deaconess would assist at... One, what's the one thing you'd think? Baptisms. Because remember, baptism used to be done in the nude. Okay? Um, I've known priests who thought a deaconess would be helpful because when administering communion, if it's a low-cut dress and it spills, then you pretty much need a deaconess to help you get it out. So, <laughs> otherwise that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Springtime at the Greek church is a nervous time for the priest as he's... You know, so, um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, 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 that's what that's for. So, um, but yeah, these are minor orders, and then these are the major orders. So, we're going to talk about the major orders today. Now, which which order came first? Bishop. Nope. 
presbyters. Um, nope. Deacon. Stephen was a deacon. Deacon. St. Stephen was Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the body of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. That's in Acts 6. Okay? So deacons were the first order after the apostles. Okay? The apostle then what happened that was while they were still in jerusalem so the apostles then went out and founded churches right and when they would go out and found a church they would leave somebody behind to run it right he was an overseer well in in greek the word for overseer is episkopos from which we get the english word bishop okay so when people ask what kind of government we have in the church we say it is episcopal Okay. Why? Because we have a church of our, our church is governed by bishops. Okay. But the apostles were the first bishops. The apostles were the first bishops because eventually they stayed in certain places. Right. And and for example, um, uh, you know Saint Mark, uh, the 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 patriarchate of Alexandria uses a lion as their symbol because it was founded by Saint Mark. Um, St. Thomas, uh, there's Mar St. Thomas, which is, is the church in India. St. Thomas is, is said to have gone all the way to India. If you look at the symbol for our church, it's St. Peter and St. Paul. They were the first two bishops of our church, okay, and they're holding up the church. Um, Peter and Paul both end up, end up going on to Rome, where they were both executed, and they founded the church in Rome. Um, the church of Constantinople was founded by St. Andrew. Okay, So, for example, in the Greek Archdiocese, what we have as the Order of St. Ignatius, their similar organization is called the Archons of the Ecumenical Patriarchate. It's the Order of St. Andrew. Okay, So, you have these apostolic sees, they call them, um, each founded by different apostles. Um, and then you have some places that were founded by someone heard an apostle, and they went and they founded a church, and sometimes they're known as isapostolos, equal to the apostles. Um, and there are like St. Nina of Georgia. Um, she was a queen of, in Georgia and convinced people to become Christian. And so she's considered equal to the apostles. Um, so um, St. Patrick, for example, of Ireland, he was apostle to, he's considered the apostle to the Irish. So he is isapostolos. Right, equal to the apostles. Um, but yes, then the the apostles were were the bishops, first bishops. Okay, and um, but as, but again, there were only twelve of them, uh, so they couldn't be everywhere. So only like twelve of the churches have a, an apostle, and of course, many of them died very early, you know, um, or were exiled. You know, Saint John was exiled to Patmos, for example. Uh, he was the only one who did not die a martyr's death. Um, he was the only one who lived to a ripe old age. 
but, um, but the men they left behind, those were the bishops. But then as cities grew, or their, the number of Christians grew, it got too many for one bishop to handle, or for them to all gather at one service. So what happened? They started parishes. Right? A bishop couldn't be at every parish at every time. So they started delegating and ordaining men to have some of their authority and go out to parishes. And those were the elders. That's what this word means, elders, presbyters, from which we get the English word priest. Okay. So bishops, presbyters, and deacons. Now, um, let me make sure I'm at the right place in my presentation. Okay, so, um, now in the United States, we have many freedoms. Freedoms a lot of times we take for granted. For example, in Turkey, the only Christian clergyman allowed to dress as a clergyman is the ecumenical patriarch. Okay, he's the only one who can dress as a clergyman when he goes out on the street. Okay, for example, our bishops even... If they go to visit Turkey when they fly in, they're in coat and tie. Because it's illegal for them. No, not even a collar. It's illegal for them to be in any kind of clerical dress. Turkey is an ultra-secular state. Um, and I didn't really understand this till I went there. For example, if you look on our money, we have like Washington, Jefferson, and, and Lincoln. You know, uh, They have... Kamal Ataturk, Kamal Ataturk, and Kamal Ataturk. Okay? It's almost a cult of Kamal Ataturk, the founder of the modern Turkish Republic. In every public building, there is a bust of Kamal Ataturk with a flag behind him, even in the, like, the patriarchate or the patriarchal schools. All right? Okay? Kamal Ataturk. Why? Because that's the only way the military keeps the Islamists at bay and keeps them from turning it into another Islamic Republic of Iran. Okay. Now the danger right now is that the current dictator in Turkey wants to do just that and turn it into basically an Islamic Republic. And uh, so, um, but it, it's an all. It, it is, in fact, I was told it's more secular than Stalin's Russia was. Okay. Secular to me means more less religious, less. Yes. Yes. It means it means they exclude religion from public life, period. Oh, from public. Okay, so they don't want everybody to be Muslim. They just want them to be. They just what? they they want well. They don't want everybody. Okay, the current prime minister he kind of wants everybody to be Muslim, but the the Turkish military has always maintained <clears throat> Turkey as. In fact, if anybody got too far, they they ousted them. But um, it's a secular state where religion has no is not supposed to have any effect on the government. Because here's the problem. In Islam, in Islam, there is no separation between church and state. If you are an Islamic republic, the only law is the Quran. Which is religious. That's right. And that's what they're trying to prevent. That's what the military has always tried to prevent in Turkey. Okay? They've always tried to maintain secular law instead of the Quran. Okay? Because once you go down that path, once you allow that then there's no separation, okay? If you insult the prophet in Saudi Arabia, you die. Doesn't matter if you're Muslim, doesn't matter if you're Christian, doesn't matter if you're anything, okay? 
because the only law in Saudi Arabia, theoretically, is the Quran. It's sort of like a dictator law. It is. It's a theocracy. <coughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's a theocracy. A dictator can do that too. You know. Yeah, but it's a theocracy. So, um, but in the United States, of course, mm -hmm. we have many freedoms: freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. Um, anyone could go out and buy a cassock or a rasso or an andari and uh, rent a little space and claim to be an Orthodox church and call himself a priest, right? They could do that. Um, most of y'all know Joe and Mary Jane Lopez. Mm -hmm. They were on vacation in New Mexico one time. And they were in this diner, and here was this, this guy who looked like an Orthodox priest, and he was talking to some people. In fact, he looked like a bishop because he was wearing an engulpian, which is, you know, the, the, it's the icon of Mary that they wear. And uh, so Mary Jane was about to go ask, you know, go up and speak to him until she overheard part of their conversation where this bishop was saying, well, so-and-so left, so I elevated myself to patriarch. <laughs> church, what's happening okay. now? Does that look at Austin Church? It was for him. It was for him. But, you know, you can, there is a, there's a whole rabbit hole of, you can go down, and it's, it's, it's frightening, of um, especially, not just Orthodox churches, but especially Catholic churches. Um, there, there have been at least two men in the United States who claimed that they were elected Pope. One's passed away now, but the other lives, like, I think, in Oklahoma. Um, and he claims he's, he was ele secretly elected Pope by a conclave, um, because, do y'all know what this, I'll, I'll, this is a, a term you'll see, sede <coughs> vacantis, vacantis, okay, it literally means empty chair, and what they are, they're anti-Vatican II, so they claim that there's been no valid pope since John the 23rd, right, so they elect themselves pope or something like that. Okay, um, and there, there's quite a few actually of these. Um, another, but there's there's all these splinter Catholic groups, right? Um, the most famous are known as the Lefebvreists, which is um, what's that? What are they called? The Society of Saint Pius the Tenth, right? SSPX, um, and they basically broke away from the Roman Catholic Church because of of the, a lot of the liturgical forms of, of Vatican II and things like that, they are currently in talks to come back into the actual regular Roman Catholic fold. But, of course, what happens is when you have a splinter group and some part of it decides to come back, then you splinter again because this part comes back, but this part says never, never, never. Okay, We have a group like that, but it wasn't founded for bad reasons. It was founded for good reasons. Um, and I'll get to that. But, so here's, so the question, if you meet another Orthodox Christian in the United States, and they kind of seem squirrely, or, they're not, you know, and, and honestly, you'll get this question. Because many Orthodox in the, in, our, in the United States and around the world think Western right is, is, is screwy. So we're the screwy ones. Okay? So they will ask you, who's your bishop? Okay? So this is a very important question in the United States. Who's your bishop? You know, if if Mary Jane had actually approached that man, pretending to be a clergyman, and said, "Who's your bishop?" and he said himself, 
There's your answer right there. Okay. Um, we have, and, and there are institutions that have been around for a long, long time. And sadly, they make some of the best vestments and write and, and, make, and print some of the best liturgical books. But they are not canonical. What do I mean by canonical? Canonical is a term that gets thrown around a lot in the Orthodox Church. So what do I mean by canonical? What I mean by canonical is that there is a church order that has come down to us, um, from, and, and it starts basically with the patriarchates. Right? At one time there were five patriarchates, um, and now there's more, uh, but they are in communion with each other. Right? So uh, even once Rome split away, we have Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. Okay. Now, since then, new patriarchates have come into being, such as Moscow. Right? But there is an order to things. There is a seniority of, of, of patriarchates. There is, there is communion among those different bodies. Right? So what happens when somebody gets mad and decides they don't like what's going on in those bodies? Create a new one. They create a new one. Okay? And that is not canonical. That is uncanonical. So, the problem we uncanonical bodies were so common in the United States that in fact our our the predecessor to our current assembly of bishops was known as the the, the standing committee. Well, was, yeah, they actually called it the standing committee of canonical Orthodox bishops in America. Okay. So, um, who's canonical in the United States, and who's not? Well, one key is if somebody has in the, in the name of their church like true orthodox or you know real orthodox or something like that, that's a problem. They're okay? trying too hard. On They're it. trying too hard. Absolutely. Now, and I will say this, especially because this is a catechism, a catechism class, and um, that is a real danger for converts. Not just in orthodoxy, but in any kind of religious organization, or in, almost any organization, um, where because most of these split-off groups are fundamentalists. Okay, um, we had a young man. He was a lawyer, and he came to Saint Constantine and Helen when I was there. Was chrismated, and after a while, he disappeared. We didn't know what happened to him. We found out that someone had convinced him that we just weren't orthodox enough. <clears throat> that he needed to be truly orthodox in a true orthodox church. Right? So what kind of marks some of these fundamentalist orthodox churches that are non-canonical? Alright? One of the things that marks that, that actually um, is, a, is, a, is a catch is... Um, the Orthodox Church in various times and in various places has had different ways of receiving converts, right? Many of us in here, how many of us were, were, were received by chrismation? You were baptized and chrismated. Had you been baptized before? No, no, but, but I mean all of us were baptized, but when you came into Orthodoxy, into orthodoxy, chrismated. So I guess I was chrismated. You were just chrismated, right? We didn't have to rebaptize you or right. anything else. Right. Okay. Some of these fundamentalist churches, including some of the monks on. Have you been orthodox your whole life? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So, she's a so you're cradle. cradle. So, yeah. so well, we're all converts. Yeah. yeah. So she was baptized in chrismated, but yeah. as a as a teen as a baby. Yeah. But for the rest of us who came in later in life, um, most of us were received by chrismation. Okay, that is our norm in the Antiochian Archdiocese. Um, there are those in the fundamentalist churches, or, and even some of the monks on Mount Athos who will insist on. Rebaptism, although they won't call it rebaptism, because they'll claim that since you weren't baptized in the Orthodox Church, you weren't baptized. Okay. There was a very sad case where a, a priest from the OCA, from from somewhere in, in in the south, because it was Bishop Dimitri's diocese, um, went to Mount Athos, and some of the monks there convinced him he needed to be rebaptized. And he came back, and Bishop Dimitri was like, "What were you thinking?" I've ordained you. You know, here's baptism, here's chrismation, and you've been ordained twice since then. What, you think you have to go back and it's all flawed at the beginning? And he had to defrock him. Had to defrock him. Why? Because he got rebaptized. Because basically by doing so, he renounced his ordination. He decided to start over. He decided to start over. I think he would have asked when he just... He would have asked Archbishop Dimitri... And in fact, my godson, my godson had a very good question and a very good reason for asking this question. My godson, you know, we, we, our baptisms, a lot of us were Episcopalians. We were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, whether it's infants or whatever. Very, in a very similar form to Orthodox baptism. Okay? So there's really not a question there. Um, my godson was Southern Baptist. So he asked Bishop Basil, He's like, Bishop Basil, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I was received by chrismation, but when I go back and look at my baptism in the Southern Baptist Church, it is not understood as being sacramental. It's not understood as, as the same thing as, say, in the Episcopal <coughs> Church, or certainly the Orthodox Church. And Bishop Basil's answer to him was, don't worry about it. The chrismation covered all the defects. Okay. In fact, in the prayer of ordination, uh, Father Father Mark and I have talked about this. In the in you know, um, while we have Western Rite Missal and we have Western Rite offices, we don't have a Western Rite ordinal. Okay, we don't ordain according to the Western Rite. We ordain solely according to the Eastern Rite. So even in the midst of a Western Rite liturgy, we will all of a sudden shift to Eastern Rite, right, to ordain. Okay. And the reason for that is to make sure that everybody's done the same, right? So there's no question that even with a Western Rite clergy, if they're ordained according to the Eastern Rite, then no other jurisdictions can question their ordination, okay? They can't question the form. Remember we talked about for a sacrament you need the proper minister, the proper form, uh, the proper matter, and the intent, okay? So in this case, we're making sure that the proper form um, there's no question about it, okay? So, we ordain according to the Eastern Rite. And the prayer that is said as the bishop lays his hands on the ordinand, whether it's for the, pri the priesthood or the diaconate, is the grace divine which fillest all things lacking and healest that which is infirm. The church is a hospital. We are a healing ministry, Okay? And it is the Holy Spirit that comes in and heals. 
So when a man is made a priest or a deacon, we call on the grace divine which fillest all things lacking and healest that which is infirm. So for this guy in the SCA to go over to, to Athos and then tell him, you didn't, oh no, you don't count because you're not ordained, you're, you weren't rebaptized. He's renouncing that prayer that was said over his head, not once, but twice. Are those people aware of it up on the mountain of uh, Apparently not. <laughs> what? Well, that they shouldn't be advising that, perhaps, or saying those things? <laughs> Great question. I mean, you'd think somebody would have sent a little note like... Uh, Okay. Do you know? Do you know that there is actually? Do you know that there is actually one? There is one act. There is one monastery on Mount Athos that actually is is basically surrounded right now, and 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 because of their their extreme views, they uh, they've been isolated from all the other monasteries, including at times the police have gone and surrounded them. Wow. Right? So this gentleman that essentially had his ordination like renounced or yeah. could he go again? No. Never. They were, he destroyed his life. So he destroyed it all. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, he should have asked a bishop because they're not. Bishops. Sh- that was his. That was his mistake. Yes. He should have asked his bishop. And really, all of and, those other things don't matter unless you have the, a bishop who is a true bishop laying hands on you. Exactly. All those other things. Really don't exactly. Wow. Yes. So you know, he just he he went off the rails. What happens to trains that go off the rails? They're done. Yeah. They're done, you know. Um, you'd be surprised how many ex-priests there are out there, <laughs> or priests who are on uh, who are on indefinite leave of absence. I know I, I, I'm friends with a, uh, a priest on Facebook. He was on leave of absence for about five years, and he was working in a funeral home. And finally, his bishop said, "Now you can come back." And now he's the second priest at a pre- at, in Oklahoma City at a Rocor parish. Okay. So, um, when in doubt, here's the ones that generally you can kind of trust. Okay. Of course, what's the biggest jurisdiction in the United States? Greek. The Greeks. The GOA. Greek Orthodox Archdiocese. Okay. Um, who's next? OCA. OCA. We are. We are. We are. Yay, Antioch. Then the OCA. Okay. Then, now, it's interesting because the next one I'm going to mention used to be like below the line and now they're above the line. Okay, which is Rocor. Rocor used to be non canonical, they were not in communion with us. They've had parishes around here for a long time, they were not in communion with us. By their choice, though? Yes, by their choice. Rokor stands for the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia. And what you will find, especially in the OCA and Rokor and, and some of the Eastern European jurisdictions, is that they are divided into two. The communist collaborators and the non-communist collaborators. Right? And they hated each other. And some of them still do. We have to wait for a few more people to die out. Alright? Okay? So, um, but, you know, there's, there's priests who, the Rocor actually is the only other jurisdiction in the United States that actually has an active Western Rite. Their Western Rite's a little weird for me because there's two approaches to Western Rite. Our approach is we take 
kind of what's current and fix it, right? So our liturgy is either the, the Book of Common Prayer or it's the pre-Vatican pre II Latin Mass that have been fixed by the Holy Synod of Moscow to be Orthodox, okay? Rokor is taking a different approach. Rokor is doing liturgical archaeology where they're trying to resurrect the serum rite that was in use pre-schism, okay? It looks and sounds a little weird. Especially because the language is horrible. The, the, they don't use proper hieratic English. Mm. Of course, I have that problem with the Greek, uh, Greek Orthodox okay. translations, too. But, okay. Now, there is one term that you will hear that don't let it throw you, because it can be either way. If you hear somebody is old calendar, okay, that does not necessarily make them uncanonical. Okay? We have canonical old calendar parishes, especially in the OCA. The Greeks even had a couple um, that they took back in. But being old calendar does not make one uncanonical in the United States. These three jurisdictions all use the new calendar, our current calendar. Um, Rokor is mostly old calendar, actually. So um, the Serbs, they're, they're here in the United States with a few parishes. The Ukrainians actually got their house in order. They, they had three different jurisdictions in the United States, and they merged them all, and they're all under the ecumenical patriarchate now. So they're okay. Um, but when in doubt, ask, who's your bishop? If that doesn't tell you, then when you get home, call Father Mark and say, hey, this person said their bishop is so-and-so. And he'll either laugh at you and say, who's that? You know, whatever. Or say, no, yeah, they're good. They're okay. Okay. So when in doubt, ask your priest. Right? Because you know who his bishop is. Who's our bishop? If, if I ask you, who's your bishop? Bishop John. Okay. And then Basil for our area, right? No? Okay, so let me tell you the real answer. Let me tell you the real answer. Let me tell you the real answer. Our bishop, our bishop is Metropolitan Joseph. Yes. Okay. Okay. We have so-called dioceses, but they don't function as dioceses. Okay. And our bishops are not allowed to function as diocesan bishops. They're all auxiliaries. So when we say, when somebody says, "Who's your bishop?" Say Metropolitan Joseph. Okay, and that's safer then too because they may not know who your local bishop is, but they'll know mm -hmm. Metropolitan Joseph, or they'll figure it out real quick. Same with the Greeks. You know, I I don't know who all the local Greek bishops are. I know most of them. Um, I've actually met most of them. But if you know, if, if a Greek was to answer that question, their safe answer would be Archbishop Demetrius. Okay. You know, now in Denver they can say Metropolitan Isaiah. In San Francisco, you know, they can say, um, now his name escapes me. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but, but when in doubt, for us, it's easiest to say Metropolitan Joseph. Okay. So, because um, just like there's a hierarchy in the church of, 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 you know, like orders, there's a hierarchy of dioceses. So, for example... We talk about the, the Archdiocese of North America. Well, there's no such thing. You can't have an Archdiocese of North America. You have the Archdiocese of New York, and then you have suffragan, is the proper term, diocese, that report to whoever's head of, of New York, right? The Roman Catholic Church is the same way. We have a Catholic Diocese of Fort Worth. 
but the closest archdiocese is, I believe, Galveston, Houston, right? So that's kind of a province for them. Um, our province is the entire United States and Canada, okay? We are, and, and another difference you'll hear is um, the Greeks have it backwards, okay? We have, and mo every other Orthodox church, the... The bishop over a province, like, like the United States or Can and Canada for us, is a metropolitan. That's our metropolis. Okay? That is a title of function. He is the metropolitan archbishop. Okay? Now, we can have archbishops, and they don't have to be over anybody else. Okay? So, for example, we had in... Um, in fact, before, before he was made metropolitan... Um, Metropolitan Joseph was an archbishop. They elevated him to the dignity of archbishop, okay, for his long, lengthy service to the patriarchate. So he was actually an archbishop. Um, archbishop Michael of Toledo, even though after the merger of the two archdioceses, he was no longer in charge of anybody else but his own diocese, he was still Archbishop Michael, okay? So the Greeks have it backwards. They have a bunch of metropolitans under an archbishop, which is... And it's for political reasons, because it was something that happened in Greece. Okay, So don't let that throw you. The proper way to have it is you have, uh, just like we have archpriest or archmandrite, that's arch, like archbishop is a title of honor. That It's a dignity to which someone is elevated. And then the metropolitan is whoever's actually in charge. All right? But the Greeks do it the other way, because they're weird. Because <laughs> they're Greek. Because they're Greek. And actually, yeah, it was a political thing where one guy got mad that he wasn't one, and so they made a wall. You know, it was it's sad. Um, but normally, the head of a diocese is a bishop. The head of an archdiocese is is metropol is, is an archbishop, or actually, the metropolitan archbishop. Um, and then, of course, the the patriarchate consists of all the archdioceses. Um, that's why the patriarchal synod consists of all the archbishops, the metropolitan archbishops around, and. Um, so that's a patriarchate, right? Uh, but the patriarchate itself is just a diocese like any other. And, it ha and the bishop of that diocese is the patriarch. So um, you see, like, like, you know, Moscow is a diocese. Its bishop happens to be the patriarch of Moscow, right? But that's his diocese. The Greeks here call theirs the archdiocesan district, which is kind of messy but because they don't quite get how we name things in English. Um, like, they call it the direct archdiocesan district or something, and it's like weird, you know. No, that's your archdiocese, and then you have all these suffragan metropolises. So, we'll get them straightened out one day. But, um, any questions about this? So, yeah, when in doubt, just say, who's your bishop? And if somebody asks you, because, you know, once we say Western right, they're like, and, you, they, and then they ask, who's your bishop? Metropolitan Joseph. Okay. Which patriarch are you part of? Patriarchate of Antioch. Okay. And again, the other reason to ask that is, y'all know who Melkites are? Melkites? Melkites. Melkites, their liturgy looks just like the, the Eastern Rite, right? Sounds just like the Eastern Rite. They're Catholic. The only difference is you'll hear them mention the Pope of Rome. Right? They are a split-off of our archdiocese that, that went into communion with Rome. 
or, or of our patriarchate that went into communion with Rome. Why? Uh, political pressure, a lot of it. Survival. Survival, sometimes. Um, and now they're caught between a hard rock and a hard place. At one point, the, the Roman Catholic strategy for reunifying the church was to go out and force all these patriarchates into reunion with Rome. So there is a Melkite patriarchate of Antioch, right? There, uh, and in fact, it's like Antioch and Jerusalem. Um, uh, there is a there is a Ruthenian uh, patri- or, or archbishop, whatever. But he's in communion. If you hear Ruthenian, uh, they're in communion with Rome. Okay, the the ones that aren't in communion with Rome um, are now the um, Carpatho Russians. Right, that was Saint Alexis Toth. He was a Roman. He was in communion with Rome, and when he came to the United States, they're like, "We don't recognize you as a priest." And he said, "Why are we in communion with Rome then?" So he went and gathered all the all the churches he could, and made the Carpatho Russian Archdiocese or, or, or diocese, which is under the Ecumenical Patriarchate. So, um, who else? Yeah, the Melkites, the Maronites. They're Lebanese, but they're they're in communion with Rome. So. Um, so yeah, when in doubt, ask your, you know, ask who's your bishop, because they may look like you know, they may dress like an Orthodox clergyman, they may sound like an Orthodox clergyman. The Melkites claim that they're Orthodox but in communion with Rome, because they're in a really and they're in a really sad place because now that talks are back between Orthodoxy and and, and Rome, Rome has renounced. They called it Uniatism, right? It's called the Uniates. And they don't like to be called units. They, they, that's an insult to them. But they're part of the unit movement that, that occurred. And it was, um, sadly, so now they're kind of in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. Okay? The Roman Catholics are like, well, you're not Latin right, so we don't know what to do with you. And then, you know, so they're an Eastern Catholic Church. Um, some of the Eastern, the heads of the Eastern Catholic Churches, they've made cardinals. Which means that they're a local clergyman in Rome, which means obviously they're directly under Rome. The patri- the Melkite Patriarch of Antioch has always refused to be made a cardinal because he considers himself the equal to Rome. Right? So that's his little sticky point there. But yet so Rome doesn't know what to do with them, and then you know they're like, Oh, but we're Orthodox. And we're like, No, you're not, you're communion with Rome. And we're not. So you you're not Orthodox. So well, their liturgy looks. Their liturgy looks is exactly the same as ours. Yeah, it's exactly the same as our Byzantine liturgy, except for the fact that they, you know, when it comes time to mention who's their bishop, it's the Pope of Rome. Do they say that filioque? They do not. Okay. So why do they want to stay with Rome? Because because they don't know what how to, not to. Walk away. Stop saying it. <laughs> I mean, that would know. be very tricky. Well, they'd have, you know, I mean, they'd have to approach, you know, the Orthodox. Well, no, I mean, that wouldn't be the problem. The problem is, is Rome would not be very happy with them. Well, I mean, you know? individuals, you know. Well, we have had some individuals. We've had some individuals who, um, in fact, I know a couple, um, John and Teresa Cole, they both had PhDs, both brilliant. Um, they started out in the Latin Rite. They went to the Melkite Rite. Uh, no, no, no. They started out in the Mel- They started out as Melkites. They went to the Latin Rite, and they came Western Rite, and then they're now at Saint Constantine Helen. Well, so they became Orthodox. Yeah, see, that's insane. So there, but there's, you know, a lot of it's movement back and forth. But here's here's another problem. For example, when I was in Pawtucket, 
uh, Rhode Island. You know, I was assigned to St. Mary's Pawtucket. Um, the Orthodox there in that parish found it much easier to socialize and intermarry with the Melkites and the Maronites than they did with the Greeks and the Russians. Why? Because they shared a culture. I mean, if you go to an era of the, the, the Maronite food festival in, in Louisville, there's a Maronite church in Louisville, it looks very much the same as ours. You know, if you go to a Melkite church, it looks very, very same. All right? So, but they share that Arab culture, so it was much, it's much easier for them to mingle amongst each other, so you get these intermarriages back and forth. Um, the priest I served with in Pawtucket, Father Leonard Ferris, he started out, his mother was head of the Maronite women in the United States, right? And he somehow became Orthodox, and is, and is a priest in Massachusetts now. So when in doubt, who's your bishop? Oh, well, it's Bishop, uh, uh, you know, the eparchy. We don't have eparchies. The Roman Catholics have eparchies. Right? That's how they avoid having overlapping dioceses. They just call one an eparchy mm -hmm. instead of a diocese. It's like the ordinariate. You all know what the ordinariate is? We were Episcopalians. We came into Orthodoxy and were part of the Western Rite. Episcopalians who want to become Roman Catholic but not, like, go to a, the Mariachi Parish... Um, they can bring their parish into the ordinariate, right? And so um, it is an overlapping, they have a bishop now, but they don't call it a diocese because you can't have two dioceses in the same place. So they call it the ordinariate, and so like St. Mary the Virgin in Arlington is part of the ordinariate. Um, Father, uh, Father Steenson, you know, was the head of the ordinariate before they ordained a bishop for them. Uh, lots of Fort Worth, there were lots of the clergy that used to be in Fort Worth that are part of the ordinary now. My college chaplain, Father Steve Sellers, um, he went up and was dean of a cathedral in South Dakota, and now he's part of the ordinary. But they're Roman Catholic. But they use an Anglican service. So, when in doubt, who's your bishop? Oh, Bishop Lopez. Well, that means yeah, you're in the ordinary. Yeah, willing to let them do a lot in order to have them. Is that it? They actually did, surprisingly. They've kind of bent over backwards. Uh, it started out with the personal, it was called the personal prelature or something. Um, of, it, was, it was John Paul II actually was the one that opened those doors because they allowed them to have married clergy. That was the biggest thing. Um, so I've kept y'all way too long. But anyway, uh, any questions, just let me know. Next week will be our last class, and we will talk about um, how to be living stones in